John chapter 2, please. I want to talk about God's house and uh, some of the furniture in it. So uh, here we read in John chapter 2, and we're starting to read in verse 13. And Jesus' Passover was at hand, the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and went into the temple. That was considered to be God's house and had been for some uh, centuries, this particular place where people, there was the pinnacle of their worship as they offered all their sacrifices and uh, would finish up there in the temple. And they sold uh, oxen and sheep and doves and the changes of the money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changes' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine host has eaten me up. And then they answered the Jews and said, What sign showest thou unto us? They're a bit annoyed. Fancy coming in here and throwing all these things over. Imagine going into a market and just tipping everything over. Uh, you'd probably get arrested for things like that, which Jesus did eventually, of course. Um, and uh, what sign are you showing that you're doing these things? And he said, destroy this temple, this house, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, 40 and 6 years was this temple in building, and will you rear it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. And when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And so he was letting them know there was going to be a major change in the way that people worship God. Instead of going up to Jerusalem and going into the temple, they were now going to have to see that the body of Jesus was the temple. And this he was going to be killed, and in three days he was going to be raised up, which of course he was. If we go over to chapter 4, <coughs> and we read where Jesus is up in Samaria, and he's talking to this woman at the well, and uh, we won't be uh, reading all of it, but um, he was saying to her, well, uh, talking about the water in the well, but he said that the water that I can give you shall be such that will satisfy you constantly. It would be the Holy Spirit that would come into your life and you would uh, all of your needs would be satisfied if you allowed the Spirit of God to take its full effect in your life. And we go down to verse 20 with a woman <coughs> who was a Samaritan. Uh, she said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. You say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. This is the right place to worship, uh, but you um, you don't know what you're doing. And that goes back into the history of when uh, the uh, nation of Israel was divided into two camps and, and Jeroboam took the, the ten tribes and the house of Israel and uh, they were worshipping idols and all sorts of things. And we read in verse 23, But the hour comes and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him 
must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so <clears throat> he's saying to them, the time is coming when people will receive the Holy Spirit into their lives and their bodies will become the temples of the Holy Ghost and they will be God's house. And um, over in the book of Acts, we're just sort of rushing through this. It's, uh, um, if we go to the book of Acts next uh, book over, and chapter 1, where <clears throat> after Jesus died and rose again, he was uh, about to be taken up into heaven, and uh, he told them in verse 4, the disciples, that they were to wait in Jerusalem and for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So Jesus had died, he'd paid the price for our sins, he'd been buried, as uh, he predicted, and three days he was raised up, and uh, he was about to be taken up into heaven, but he said, you go in Jerusalem and you wait there until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Verse 8, you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and unto the outermost parts of the earth. And so take this message out and tell everybody that they can come to the point where they can worship the Father in the Spirit, that it won't be a specific place on the planet where you can find God and have a personal relationship with him. And so we read they went into uh, Jerusalem and there they were praying and they were in the upper room at the appointed time and the Holy Spirit came down, chapter 2, and uh, we read in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. And you read on there, I'm rushing through this because most of you know it well, but for those who want to check up on us, it's all there. And uh, so later on when Peter had preached to them and they were convicted that they had crucified the Son of God, they said, what should we do about it? And he told them they to repent and be baptised and receive the Holy Ghost themselves. And then their bodies would become the temple of the Holy Ghost. So I want to take you over from here to um, uh, chapter 3 of uh, 1 Corinthians. And uh, this explains how that each one of us can be an integral part of God's house. So individually we become a temple of the Holy Ghost, but collectively the church of every genuine spirit-filled person who is walking in the spirit is a part of God's great big temple spread all over the face of the earth. And we read in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9, he said, But we are laborers together with God for you. You are God's husbandry, you are God's garden, but you're also God's building. He uses different illustrations to get different points across to us. So you are God's building, he says. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I'm here telling you the truth and I'm building up the church of God. I've laid the foundation and another builds thereon, but let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to warn them in illustrations of uh, to be careful what you build on this. We come to the Lord, we repent, we get baptised, bury our old life, we receive the Spirit, we speak in tongues, and the foundation of Jesus Christ coming into our life is laid. 
But the Lord says, then you have to build on this. And uh, that's uh, what I want to talk about, is how that we can't become a part of God's house and how we're to keep the house tidy. And so with um, uh, we, we read a bit more down in verse uh, 16, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, God's house, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And so from then on, we are to make sure that we are worthy to, uh, by the life that we live, to have God dwelling inside of us, to be a part of his universal church. And so God, not only because we can't really contribute anything in the spiritual sense, God has to do everything. He supplies the house, he supplies the spirit, and then he supplies items that go into this house. And uh, we read of that over in chapter 12, where he talks of some gifts that he wants. It's his house, so he wants to put the sort of uh, furniture in it that's, uh, that's going to uh, be appropriate. And so he talks there in verse 1 of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. And this is what I want to talk a bit about here this afternoon, is about the gifts that God puts into this house that he puts inside of us. If you're a visitor here today and you haven't experienced the power of the Holy Ghost coming into your life, well, most of us have, and we can thoroughly recommend it. And all the people said, we had two young men brought up in the fellowship, but they knew that there was something missing in their life, even though their parents were good to them. I think in both cases their mothers did most of the bringing up, and that's why they're such fine young men today. And... uh, Anyway, praise the Lord, they, um, I don't know them very well, so I can speak freely, but I've got to know Nathan a little bit, so uh, we had a few chats over in Melbourne a couple of years ago, but uh, I, I was intrigued that he might, you know, be as well up here, but um, I, I haven't tried to do this, though, because <laughs> unless I had some red paint to put on it, so... Yeah, there we go. Anyway, praise the Lord. Get back to the story, John. So anyway, so here we are. So he says here about these spiritual gifts. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of them. And he explained to them that you used to be Gentiles and you used to worship dumb idols. And that's the way you were led. You were brought up to worship all these pagan things. But he said, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Another interesting little verse there that tells you that you have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You can't really say that Jesus is the Lord of your life, and there's millions of people who claim that he is, but they haven't received the Holy Ghost. The most unruly part of their body is still not under control. They haven't received the Spirit, they don't speak in tongues, so they're not really in a position to call him Lord. They might want him to be the Lord of their life, and many of us were like that, and he led us to the place where he filled us with the Holy Spirit, and now we can truly call him Lord. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, 
but the same Lord. And so here he's saying that there are uh, gifts and there are administrations. Or maybe we could say there are ministries as well. And there are diversities of operation, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And so he puts these gifts in the church so that the whole church might benefit from it. And so he goes on to describe uh, what these uh, these gifts are. And there are nine of them that are listed here. And um, I just want to spend a, a moment or two uh, talking about them. It goes on there from verse 8, and it goes through and it talks about the word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, faith, uh, healing, uh, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, uh, different kinds of tongues and, in, and the interpretation of tongues. But all these work at that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And so God puts this furniture in his house. He put these, uh, uh, these devices in his house to, to make it operate properly. Now, I just, for convenience sake, I want to divide these nine gifts up into three categories. One of them is the word of wisdom. One of them is the word of knowledge, and the other is the discerning of spirits. Now, <clears throat> um, what it's really saying to us is that God wants to put, he puts wisdom into his church. And a lot of us were pretty stupid before we came to the Lord. And uh, then we did the wisest thing we ever did in our life. We gave God a chance to come into our life. And so wisdom comes into our life. And uh, it is displayed in the church. And as the church works together in unity, uh, there is a lot of wisdom in that. And uh, when it talks about the word of wisdom, well, it's really wisdom within the word of God. A lot of uh, people think that God is telling them all sorts of things and making them wise. Uh, and we get very suspicious of people who claim that God has given specific messages to them. And uh, the other thing that they do in, in some circles, and well, maybe it's not particularly uh, edifying sometimes to criticise other churches, but sometimes to defend what you believe to be the truth, you have to expose the error of what's happening elsewhere. And there are churches where... Uh, Pentecostal churches where um, people, if they're Pentecostal, they should be speaking in tongues, although a lot of them don't. But I've actually, in the early days, I went to, to meetings where people claimed to be operating the word of knowledge. And uh, their idea of it was that the evangelist would say, now God is telling me something here. He's telling me that there is somebody in the audience that's got a particular... A problem, they've got a, a sore knee or something or other, they've got arthritis in their right knee or something or other, and um, if there's a lot of old people, they've probably applied to most of them, but anyway, uh, um, so you come out here and, and God will heal you. Now, that's not what it's talking about at all. It's about the, the wisdom and the knowledge that God gives to us, and maybe if I can just take you back as an illustration, a lot of these things, in a way, were manifest to people in the Old Testament. In First Kings chapter 3, uh, I want to just look at uh, King Solomon. So First Kings and chapter 3. And um, we read here 
He'd just become king. Uh, he was the son of uh, David. And in verse 5, 1 Kings 3, verse 5, In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth, and in righteousness and uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, Thou hast made thy servant king instead of David. In other words, I'm David's son and you've made me king. But I'm a little child. I just don't know much about this king business. I know not how to go out or to come in and thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. All of a sudden this responsibility is thrust on me and I'm not sure how to go about it. And my prayer to you, God, is give thy servant, give me an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this thy so great a people. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life, neither have you asked for riches, and you, uh, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but has asked for thyself the understanding and discern, to discern judgment. Behold, I've done according to thy words, for I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there is none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall arise like unto thee. And he said, because you've been a good boy and asked for the right thing, I'll give you a whole lot of material things as well. But in this passage of Scripture, we're told that uh, God was going to give to Solomon, he was going to give to him wisdom, he was going to give him understanding or knowledge, it could have been translated that way, and he was going to give him discernment as well. And that's, uh, that's what it's talking about, and these are the spiritual qualities that God puts into his church. And as the group works together, that, uh, that, that there is wisdom, there is understanding, and there is a discernment between uh, uh, between uh, good and evil. And uh, over in the book of uh, Hebrews, uh, we might just have a quick look at that. I'm sorry I'm rushing through all of these things. I get into trouble for this, but I never seem to learn. But when you've been reading the Bible and preaching out of for over 60 years, you sort of you get to know a few things and you want to tell everybody everything you know in one talk. But uh, so, and when you've got a muddamuckler drawl that you can't talk very fast anyway, well, um, anyway, we'll, so I'll just keep on going. So there we go. So Hebrews chapter 5, and we read in verse 11, uh, God's been talking about Jesus and how that Melchizedek was a type, and that's another subject. But it says in verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you were dull of hearing. <laughs> Not very complimentary some of the times, the things that are said. But anyway, he says here, you're actually a bit thick spiritually. That he said, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become such as have need of milk, uh, not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern 
both good and evil. So you can tell what's good and what's bad. But he said that if you, even if you've been around for some time, if you haven't really studied the scriptures and you haven't got your, your nose into the good book and if you haven't just prayed about things, if you haven't listened intently to what's being preached and you haven't listened to the advice of your brothers and sisters who are doing well. And um, I had somebody visit me recently who was having trouble in his marriage. And uh, he said that uh, what uh, he, 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 well, he realised he'd made a lot of mistakes, but he was saying that he, he, he wanted to look at the examples of people who had good marriages rather than go and commiserate with other people who've got bad ones. Well, that's, he's starting to get a, one little bit of wisdom anywhere for a start. Maybe he should have thought of that before. But so if we're not really looking to the Word of God and we're not really studying it and praying it in, well, we're not going to be exercising a lot of this discernment. But again, we emphasize the fact that it's in the church as a whole. And not any one of us is able to contribute all of the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, nor all of the fruits of the Spirit, nor all of the ministries that are spoken of, but collectively, as we support each other, will it all happen. So there you go, you've got wisdom, knowledge and discernment is there, all, all sewn up together. Unfortunately, uh, what uh, some churches teach is that the discerning of spirits is like they use the wrongly use the word of knowledge, is that the preacher man saying, now I'm discerning that there are people here who've got certain demons in their life. One lady was actually a relative of Janice and she'd been going off to this church and she just thought it was a load of rubbish what they were saying. But the pastor was saying the little church she went to, she said, he said, I, when I look down, I know which one of you has got demons and which one haven't. And so they're all looking at each other and you know, I always thought he looked a bit odd and all this sort of rubbish. When the Bible actually says that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no demons in you. If there were any around before you got spirit filled, they're certainly not there now. And, uh, you know, just when I get talking on this subject, I've travelled a bit in my uh, 60-odd years in the Lord. But one time I was in India and uh, met up with Pentecostal people. They were talking about casting demons out of people all the time. And uh, and then you find all the sort of manifestation. They whip people up into hysteria and they do all sorts of crazy things of flopping on the ground and this sort of thing. And then you meet up with Hindus and they're doing the same thing. And uh, and so it's it's just it's just silly stuff. And uh, I was there with a couple other pastors and we had a, a, a rally and we had a lot of people come out for prayer and uh, and this, uh, this this guy is sort of, uh, you know, going into, into convulsions and all sorts of things. One of the other pastors, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm trying to get the devil out of me so I can receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, this pastor just gave him a good shake and said, look, wake up, this is this is a load of nonsense what you're going on with here. And uh, so, and and it happens. There's a there's a group around, um, and I, I mention it because uh, some of our former members have got uh, extreme in their approach to things and uh, have gone off of this little group. They haven't got a proper church, but they're sort of an evangelical group, 
and, uh, and they like to hang around, and some of you might know some of these people, and they, uh, they want to tell you how that their prayers are better than our prayers. But the group that they've got, they have an outreach, and uh, they'll get people along, and the first thing they do is to uh, scream for demons to come out of people before they baptise them. And uh, and then uh, they baptise them, and their argument is that uh, when Jesus said, these signs will follow those that believe, in his name they'll cast out devils, and they'll speak with new tongues. And so that's the order. So everybody's got to have demons get out of them before they get filled with the Spirit. Well, uh, we've got news for them. It doesn't happen that way. And there's, uh, there's, we know thousands and thousands of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we don't even talk about the devil most of the time. He was defeated on the cross at Calvary. And uh, so he's not worth talking about. And so, anyway. So I'm not going to get there, am I, with all this? Anyway, you sort of know where I come from and all that. Then you come to faith, healing and miracles. If we're demonstrating the faith of Christ, which is better than our own faith, we are going to see miracles of healing. We're going to see all sorts of miracles and so on. And then we've got tongues, interpretation and prophecy. And I just want to um, uh, talk a little bit about that, uh, our voice gifts, which operate in our fellowship. And um, <coughs> just to bear in mind, if we go back, I think, again to First uh, to Corinthians, and it tells us, that all of these things are there for the edification of the church. Now, <clears throat> there are a lot of people who claim to be Christian who don't think that speaking in tongues is for today, and uh, they don't think it's important. Well, it happens to be the initial sign of receiving the Holy Spirit, which makes it very, very important indeed. But also, to be able to pray in the Spirit, to speak in tongues is very important, uh, in our own devotions and when we get together in prayer times it's also very good and uh, if you leave tongues out you're leaving one of the vital ingredients out you don't leave the others out either and so uh, if we go to um, uh, chapter 14 of first corinthians we just read a, a few verses here verse one follow after charity or love the previous chapter one of the most famous passages in the Bible is talking about love and just how important it is. But what a lot of people never tell you with, uh, from people who just like to, to talk about this wonderful chapter is that it's wedged between two chapters that talk a lot about the gifts of the Spirit operating in the church. And so we have uh, the gifts operating, but it must be done in love. Otherwise, it's... You just, if you speak in tongues and you haven't got love, you're just a big noise, it says, like a, a sounding brass or a clinging, clanging cymbal, all out of tune and all that sort of thing. So it doesn't go down well. And you can have other gifts as well, but if you're not doing it in love, it's not good. Anyway, chapter 14, verse 1. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. You need to have prophecy in your church. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. So if you're speaking in tongues, it goes on to say later, if I look down in verse um, verse 4, it says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. It's very edifying for yourself spiritually to speak in tongues. And 
We do a lot of it. Paul the Apostle said, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than ye all. But in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. Often reminds me when I was very young in the Lord and still at home with my parents when my mother um, came racing out one day and she said, it says here in the Bible where Paul says, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. I said, oh, it's a nice verse, Mum. You read the one before it? Which it says, I thank my God and speak in tongues more than you all, but in the church. Oh, you're hopeless, she said, and uh, away she went. Anyway, she thought she had a, a prime uh, verse there. Anyway, but um, so if we speak in tongues, we're edifying ourselves, but if we're speaking in prophecy, we're edifying the church, and that's what I want to talk about a bit more. We read in verse 3, uh, he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. And so there's a lot said in this chapter about the church being edified. And so when we prophesy, it needs to be edifying. To, to, to edify means to, to build up. An edifice is a building. And so we are a building, we're God's house, and so we need to be built up. And so some of us, when we're prophesying, uh, maybe bring our own thoughts into it rather than what the Word of God is saying, and that can be destructive rather than uplifting. And so uh, to, to build up and to uh, exhort, which means to to entreat or to call near. The Lord is, is saying, look, come to me and I want to, I want to build you up and I love you and I care for you and so on. And of course, comfort or consolation. And the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And so sometimes we need to be really prayerful about what we're, we believe that God is moving on us to say when we prophesy or interpret. Because if it's not edifying, if it's, uh, it's not there to give an altar call, it's not there uh, to give a sermon to your husband, it's not there to, uh, uh, to give, uh, have a shot at anybody else, it's there to edify, to build everyone up. And uh, I believe that when we operate the gift of prophecy, uh, generally speaking, God is drawing on the reservoir of scriptural knowledge that has been built up in our lives so that we sort of know if a thought comes to our mind and uh, it's, uh, it's not scriptural, we'll, we'll know about it. Oh, well, that's obviously not the Lord moving on the mind there. And so we've, we've had to at times even speak to some individuals and say, look, the, the message that you've given there is, uh, is, not, uh, is not edifying. It's not building people up. And so maybe you need to just hold back from operating the gifts and so on. But uh, anyway, praise the Lord. That's, uh, um, that's what I wanted to say on that. I better finish soon, um, but I'm not yet. Uh, let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians in chapter 2. I'll say a little bit more about edifying. Uh, verse 18 of Ephesians 2. For through him, through Christ, we both, that's whether you're Israelite or Gentile, have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore we are no more strangers and 
and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, of whom the whole building, all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And so it doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter what our nationality is. It doesn't matter whether we came from a rich or poor background. It doesn't matter what uh, ideas we had before. We come to the Lord and this word fellow citizens, it actually in the original meaning of the word, it means citizens of the same village, no matter which part of the world you come from. And at this precise moment, there are a number of our brethren um, including Pastor Chris, Christine, Pastor David and, and Sue and uh, I think there's 16 Aussies all together they're in Port Moresby, they're heading for Banamo and they'll be mixing people who certainly weren't born in the same village as they were And uh, but they're all our brothers and sisters in Christ and they'll be seeing hopefully hundreds of people coming to the Lord and, and someone is having prayer for the outreach in Samoa which is taking place next month and all this sort of thing, it's wonderful and how we all come to the Lord and we all join together to be a brick in God's building. And uh, that's meant as a compliment, not being as thick as one. But anyway, so there we go. So let's have a look in chapter 4. And um, I want to just read verse 8. We talked about the gifts of the Spirit there, but there's some other gifts as well that God puts into his house. And in verse 8 it says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. In another translation it says, Wherefore he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He led a train of vanquished foes and bestowed gifts on men. So we were enemies of God before we came to him and uh, we got defeated and now we have... Uh, became part of his kingdom and uh, he's going to give gifts to the church and we read over in verse 11 and this is what he gave to the church and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ and so these uh, ministry gifts are given to the church and I was going to, uh, uh, I've obviously gone over time, the kids are all in here. Anyway, they might learn something. So there we go. So there's apostles. And then the ones that are sent forth, the pioneers to start the work. Uh, you think of a pioneer, you think of Pastor Godfrey who came to the Lord 35 years ago and uh, went out and pioneered this work, which is well over 100,000 people now. So... Uh, if that's not an apostle, I don't know what is or who is. And so one that's sent forth, a prophet. Now we mentioned about prophecy before, but there's also a ministry and the same thing applies that this is talking about an inspired preacher or an expounder of the word of God. And there are certain people who um, really are quite gifted in that way are able to explain the word of God to, to teachers and you, you, you get built up by it, you, you're inspired, you're edified by it. And that's a, a ministry of a prophet. 
an evangelist, someone who preaches the gospel, goes out and tells the old, old story that is ever new and brings people to Christ. Then you've got pastors, they're shepherds. They look after the sheep. And you've got teachers. And uh, we think of, uh, uh, well, it's actually, another word was used was doctors. When Jesus went into the temple when he was 12 years of age, and uh, it talks about the doctors, or actually the teachers there, but here was a 12-year-old son of God was teaching these uh, professionals. And that's what happens. You, you come to the Lord, you become a child of God, and even as a child, as a babe in Christ or a, a young person, you, you know your Bible and you know that you're way better than the experts of this world who only make out they do. Anyway, we better finish. Um, yeah. Uh, da, da, da. Let's, let's have a look. Just one more thing about edifying. I must tell you this one. We'll go to 1 Corinthians, just one verse here. Chapter 10 and verse 23. And it says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let me read it from another translation. All things are legitimate, permissible. We are free to do anything we please, but not all things are helpful, expedient, profitable and wholesome. All things are legitimate, but not all things are constructive to character and edifying to spiritual life. So those people, and sometimes people leave our fellowship because we're too strict. We're too scriptural for them. And, uh, well, that's sad if they want to do that. Some people think, oh, well, why should anybody tell me um, if my appearance is extreme? Why should anyone tell me if my hairstyle is extreme? Well, I'm sorry, mine is, but there's not much I can do about it. But, uh, you know, there's, why should anybody tell me? Nobody's going to tell me how I'm going to run my life. Well, you see, we're part of a, a body of people as I said to one young fellow years ago who, who had extremely long hair, and people reckon I was jealous, but anyway, I said to him one day, I said, look around, do you see anybody else here with hair like yours? And he admitted, and I said, look, why don't you just do what the rest of us do and, uh, and conform, not to the world, because what you're doing is conforming to the world. Why don't you do like it says here? And when we say to people, look, we're upset about you going to a, a rock concert or something. It's not edifying. It's not a good example to others. So think about what you're saying, whatever you're doing, and, uh, and, and pray about it. Oh, look, I'd love to do this, but is it going to help to build up my brother and sister, or is it going to be a bad example? And I promise, I really do promise this, last verse, Acts chapter 9, and any of you who were at Elizabeth the other day, when Kevin gave a talk, he read this verse, and so it must be right, because Kevin read it. Uh, Acts 9 and verse 31. Then had all the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. The churches were edified. They were built up, and it says they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and were multiplied. So if you have a fear of God and uh, you're... you're uh, you're being edified and comforted by the Holy Ghost. You're going to have revival. All the people said, Amen. Amen.